welcome to the Dietitian Dad Podcast. I am Michael Murphy, father of three, registered dietitian, and your dad when it comes to weight loss, nutrition, and health. No quick fixes or easy answers here, just evidence-based advice to help you permanently change your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Dietitian Dad Podcast. This is episode number 54, and as always, it is a pleasure and an honor that you listen to me, trust me as a voice of reason in the very complicated world of nutrition and weight loss. So today's episode, as all episodes in my opinion, is going to be an excellent one. I'm going to do, I did this a few months ago or maybe every couple months, I'm going to dive around the world of weight loss news and give you my opinion on a few recent topics that are in the news, and then the main topic of this podcast is going to be a good one. We're going to discuss what we can learn about weight loss from the weight loss surgery industry. So that combines both of my kind of expertise areas, weight loss surgery, weight loss, and how my 20 years in the weight loss surgery industry has taught me so much about weight loss in general. And I'm going to go a little bit deeper into that in a minute. But first, let, let's look around the news. Let's see what's going on in the world. Let's see what you can learn. Maybe maybe you can get some new information from this podcast. Maybe you haven't read about things. Now, we all know Ozembic is dominating the headlines in the weight loss industry. And as popular as that has been, now we're getting the Ozembic face, Ozembic butt. They're saying now Ozembic can lead to suicidal thoughts. They're saying that the side effects and this and that, it's just... Every day there's a new piece of information. I'm not going to dive into that on this podcast. I've talked about semaglutide on a few podcasts, and I'll probably do it again in the future just because it's so fascinating, but it's just interesting to me. But I'm not going to go over much about Ozembic in this one. What I did stumble upon is a New York Post article about a $350 DNA test which shows why you're gaining weight. And also, speaking of Ozembic, if Ozembic works when it is taken by you. It's very interesting and kind of hard to believe it could be real. So in a nutshell, it's a saliva-based DNA test and it matches the patient to a weight loss treatment or a medication based on their genetic profile. Okay, so you got different categories that the test puts a person in, including a category called hungry brain, where a person who consumes too many calories without feeling full, hungry gut, the person is um, consuming food until until that person is satiated or um, hungry again shortly. Emotional hunger type of eater, those who eat to cope with distress emotionally, and the slow burn category. And these are people with slow metabolisms that have challenges burning calories effectively. So four very interesting categories that are definitely are legitimate and can be um, your personality, for instance. Now, the fact that you can swab some DNA and get a $350 test to tell you which one you are, well, you know, we're still kind of skeptical, aren't we? So in the article, there was a a female that had been, uh, that did the test, and it came back that she had the hungry brain. So they they suggested to her um, that she has slower gastric stomach emptying. So they told her to follow a nutrient-rich, low-calorie diet with fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and low-fat dairy. What a surprise that they would ask her to do this to lose weight. Um, And then she was also recommended a 
basically an appetite suppressant drug called Qsemia, which is fairly well known in the industry. But again, I mean, this, this shows me that, yeah, you can find out maybe something about yourself, but look at the recommendations. They're the same that a person would be given for any type of weight loss that they needed. We still need probably a little bit of time on this, and I hope it, it's really legitimate, and I hope that it can be a source of information for many people down the road, but we'll see about that. Okay, here's another article I stumbled across in the Daily Mail. The, high, the um, headline is, Dietitian shares three reasons why your efforts to slim down are failing. I, I haven't even looked at this article. It's right in front of me, and I bet I'm not going to be surprised by any of these three reasons because they're probably three reasons you've read a million times. Getting plenty of protein is the first one, obviously. Who, who at this point is shocked when a person recommends more protein to help with weight loss? I mean... We don't even have to print this anymore. It's becoming so monotonous. The second recommendation is to avoid ultra-processed foods. Again, we all know this. We hear this on a daily basis. So not a shock either. And let's see what the third one would be. Okay, so the third reason is a little bit more... It's still, uh, it's still obvious, but it's understandable that this might resonate with some people. And it's basically saying that if you consume too few calories... You may be too tired to exercise. You actually may find your weight loss slowing down quicker. And I like that. I mean, I don't want anybody going on a weight loss diet to cut their calories dramatically right away. So not bad advice, but for the most part, it's pretty much an obvious article. Okay, and the last article I'll point out that I saw here is entitled, Man Lost 125 Pounds by Doing the Opposite of What He'd Tried Before. Um... So in summary, the article basically goes over a gentleman who has been overweight since he's been 15 years old. And this is what I see a lot with my patients. Years and years of cutting carbs, fad diets, um, constantly losing weight, and then regaining this weight back. And I still see this happen all the time. And I'm, I, I, th I feel like we should mostly know by now that if you go on a drastic diet to lose weight, you're going to gain it back almost certainly. And if we can get away from that mentality, um, we can see a lot more people losing weight and keeping it off without needing weight loss surgery or any medication. And this gentleman named Terrell, is an, or I'm sorry, first name is Chris, is a good example. He's 38 year, years old now, and what he did was he just did the opposite, meaning he, instead of trying to lose weight as fast as possible, he tried to be patient and go slowly, which is the best way to lose weight. Do it very slowly if you're not doing weight loss surgery. You have to make small changes and be comfortable with possibly a pound a week. Um, instead of cutting out carbs, he, he still consumed them. He just consumed less of them. He didn't give up his favorite foods. Um, he just kind of lessened them. And he didn't make it complicated. That's key, too. I, I love this article because it really does go over... Um, this gentleman did a lot of things that I recommend that most people don't really want to hear because it is a very long, drawn-out process. But if somebody can commit like this gentleman did, um, as he lost 125 pounds and he's kept it off for over a year and a half. So we're seeing that this can lead to permanent weight loss when you get rid of the all the voices in your head from all the commercials and advertising and all the stuff that people tell you. 
all the exciting diets that are, you know, people go on diets because they're exciting. You, you hope this diet will work, so you have a lot of hope. And then when it fails you or you gain your weight back, it becomes another, you know, it becomes another way of feeling defeated, and it's very hard to get excited over and over again. So if you are somebody who has the patience and you need to lose some weight, this is a good person to follow. His name is uh, Chris Terrell, and the article is from The Insider. If you want to go check that out, it came on out uh, July 12th. Okay, so let's let's uh, switch gears and talk about the main topic of this podcast, and that is what can we learn about weight loss in general from what we see in the weight loss surgery industry? It tells us so much because when someone has weight loss surgery, there certainly are things manipulated in the body in terms of hunger hormones, um, in terms of obviously minimizing the stomach space, but... With all that, you also can look at it, the way a person loses weight who has a smaller stomach is by simply consuming less calories. That's pretty much a proven fact here. So when we, look, when we think about that and we talk about maybe somebody trying to lose weight without the surgery and they get caught up in the low-carb world, they get caught up in the starvation mode ideology, they get, they get caught up in um, the fact that maybe they're not eating enough calories. That's a big one. Um, you see the person who has weight loss surgery, and of course I've seen them. I've seen them for 20 years and countless of them. So I have enough studies on my own to know that this works. They all consume very small amount of calories permanently, and they all lose weight because of it. They don't, they don't hit starvation mode and gain weight. They don't stop losing weight because they're not eating enough calories for the most part. Of course, there are always exceptions to this rule, by the way. They just stay in a calorie deficit, and because of the fact that their stomach is smaller, they're able to do so. And that's the biggest difference between somebody who has a weight loss surgery and somebody who does not. They have the ability to consume smaller portions and feel that same level of satisfaction. So that's really what separates the two. But if we take that equation out of it, we know that the key to weight loss is a calorie deficit. And as I mentioned earlier from the gentleman who lost weight on his own, you need to make small changes because your body will not like you if you try to go down to a seven or 800 calorie diet when you have a normal size stomach. And what about that concept of starvation mode? I've done a podcast on this, so I'm not going to go too deep into it. You can go back and listen to that. But that's where we get too caught up in you know, rebound calorie consuming, maybe even going high calorie for three days in a row and then low calorie for another day. None of these things are permanent. None of these things work permanently because they can't be followed. And another thing we learned from weight loss surgery industry is that when you do anything for weight loss, it has to be done fairly permanently. I mean, let's face it. If you have a gastric sleeve, it's permanent. You, you're never going to go back. Now, granted, if you have a lap band surgery, you can remove it, but it's meant to be a permanent lifestyle change. So if you go into weight loss without surgery and you're thinking, okay, what do I need to do to keep this weight off? And you start going down the road of intermittent fasting, um, high-low carbs, high-low calories, starvation mode fighting, things that you know in the back of your mind will fizzle out eventually. And maybe not for over a year, but for most people, it's usually done after a few months. Then that weight will not stay off. I can almost guarantee you of that. Um, if you make small changes that are doable and now your normal life revolves around 
what your brain now considers to be a normal way of eating, just less calories, that's the key. Now, there are people that cannot do that because they feel that level of hunger is too overwhelming for them. And you can't fight hunger. It will always win. The battle will always be won by hunger. There's nothing you can do about that. And then what about the concept of willpower? You still hear people talk about willpower. Um, Jessica Simpson, somebody who had um, a struggle with her weight most of the last 20 years, uh, just was just quoted as saying it's all willpower for her because she's lost some weight. And um, that's something that I really am not a fan of hearing people say, you know, because it's not willpower. It's, it's a bio, biologic, um, innate hormone. Um, you know, it's what you're born with in a way in terms of your, your ability to deny yourself food, in terms of eating more, eating less. There's no way you can replicate the way you feel or understand how you feel or somebody else feels by jumping in their body to see why they eat more. You know, you just blame it on willpower, then that's a road or a battle you're not going to win. We have to put that aside and understand that the millions of mechanisms surrounding the hormone secretions that lead to a person being hungry and staying alive because the body's trying to make sure that we get enough calories is really what we have to look at closer. And of course, the scientists and all the much more brilliant people than myself out there are doing that. But again, back to weight loss surgery, we know that from a, on a simple level, if you're able to decrease ghrelin, which is the hunger hormone that's decreased after a gastric sleeve, the person, the recipient of that decreased ghrelin is going to eat less because they don't feel as hungry. And the rebounding hormone leptin will be increased or secreased to make them feel fuller and they will eat less. Um, so, but, but basically what we're looking at here is at the end of the day, everybody loses weight after weight loss surgery because they eat less calories. But here's another key factor when it comes to what we learned from weight loss surgery. A person can physically feel less hungry and they do. Now over time they might get more hunger. Um, but what they, what typically you don't find is the head hunger. The head hunger is a whole nother level. And weight loss surgery doesn't always impact a person's um, ability to understand their head hunger better or to have it go away. Some have reported they have less cravings. They don't feel as bored. They don't eat as, you know, eat with as much boredom. Um, they kind of just don't feel as hungry, so they eat less. But weight loss surgery isn't going to cure head hunger. It's just going to cure physical belly hunger. Well, I really shouldn't say cure it. It'll decrease it. So what we can learn from this is that because even weight loss surgery isn't going to possibly help anybody in the, in the fact that they're home at night and they're watching TV and they just want to snack on something and even though their stomach is smaller, they can still do that. Then we have to work with ourselves or with somebody like myself to manipulate and trick that head hunger. And that's really one of the biggest keys to changing your weight permanently. You have to understand your cues. You have to understand when you're more likely to blindly or mindlessly eat. It's such a big deal if you're trying to lose this weight, whether you have weight loss surgery or not, actually. It doesn't even matter. You have to be able to understand your body and what you crave and how to decrease the calorie intake from those foods you're craving because 
if you don't do that, then you'll almost certainly go back to your kind of I call it the robotic state, robotic thinking, where you are awake for a little while and you go to sleep a little bit and you fall into traps and patterns that can lead to regaining that weight. And not because you're eating for hunger, you're eating for, um, you know, for cravings or or even for something that you're uh, tastes really good and you can't stop eating it. And here's one more thing that we can learn from the weight loss surgery industry, especially the gastric sleeve. I would rule out the gastric bypass because we're bypassing intestines, so there's more, definitely more risk of uh, vitamin mineral deficiency. But I have countless patients who have a smaller stomach who either forget to take their multivitamin or take a gummy multivitamin, which doesn't have everything they need, or sporadically take their multivitamin, and very rarely will they take anything else. And their lab work, despite that, and despite the fact that they're consuming much less calories, their labs almost always come back clean, rarely see a deficiency. So if somebody with a small stomach, hardly eating, doesn't have a deficiency in vitamins, what does that say about people with normal-sized stomachs who eat much more? Do they really need to be taking vitamins? Now, on this podcast, I'm not here encouraging you to take or not to take vitamins. I want you to have that discussion with your doctor um, or your dietitian, even, because you may have... Uh, obviously a medical background that requires them. So don't, don't just stop taking vitamins because of this. But my point is, is that vitamins typically are overpushed, overrated in many instances. And um, it's just an interesting, interesting point that I see in the weight loss surgery industry as opposed to not having weight loss surgery as far as vitamins. And the same thing can be argued about fluid or water. We tend to think we need to keep drinking more water. And I have weight loss surgery patients that are unable to drink as much water, yet the dehydration symptoms aren't overwhelming at all. So, of course, get your fluid, get your water in. But again, I think we have, we put too much emphasis and too much time is spent on things that are not as important as that calorie deficit at the end of the day. The calorie deficit is where it's at. That is definitive. I definitely learned that from working in both weight loss surgery and weight loss over these years. So if you take one thing away from this podcast, that would be it. We'll see you next time. Follow me on Instagram and TikTok at dietitian underscore dad while you wait for the next episode to drop. And remember, permanent changes lead to permanent results.